This morning, I have a word that the Lord has placed on my heart. I mean, we have a God that speaks. He created the world. He spoke, and everything came into existence. And let, let me put it in context for you. We hold a high view of Scripture today. You say, well, what, how, how high a view do you hold of the Word of God? Can I capture this in context? If God were to lift up this roof today and to speak audibly, it would be no more powerful than what we have right here. Did you hear what I said? That's how high this is the very word of the Lord. And the Lord has a special word for us as a body at this moment and at this time. Now let me uh, address communion. I'm not going to do communion like we normally do. I'm going to let you do it on your own. As the service concludes, you can wait at your seat there and you can receive. And just take a little moment to pray and thank God for the, for the bread which represents the body of Jesus and the juice, which represents his blood. We have the table set up. As you're leaving, you could take a moment there by the table, you and, and whoever, by yourself or whatever, and just take a moment and, and pause there and receive the communion. So we're going to let you do that on your own today. But I want to I move toward the altar time today. But I, I want to bring before you something that came so strong in my spirit. It came so strong to me. That I know this is a word for us. I want you to hear what the Lord would say to us. I know that some of our church family are watching online. I know that. And as I said, our young people and our young adults and are gone. But, but I know I want everyone today to really focus in. I thought about this today. You know, during COVID time and all, all that was going on, we were all online. And I, I noticed our, our views of our services were exponentially higher because everybody was there. And so we were sharing I would ask you either today sometime, share this service. If you're on Facebook, share this service. And I never say this. Very rarely do I ever say anything like this. That, that if you get a, share this service today, there's someone that's going to need this word. It may be another church. It may be another pastor. It may be a servant of the Lord that's going to need this word. But I know we need this word from the Lord today. And so I want to title this message that I've simply titled a very simple title, Three assurances for the faithful. Three assurances for the faithful. And we ask the Lord to bless this message. We ask God to anoint us with the Holy Spirit today. Lord, I have poured my heart in this and you poured your spirit into me. I pray I'd say everything you want me to say, nothing you don't want me to say. Direct us today. And Lord, let not the enemy be able to steal the seed of your word. But let this word go down. Let this word encourage. Let faith build in this place. Because you're about to take us to another level. You're about to take us to a new place. You're about to do great things and even greater things through this church. Lord, equip us, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Three assurances to the faithful, for the faithful. I, I begin this message with a question. And it's a simple question, but it's a direct question. That's this. What would you think is the most important issue in your life? If I, if I were just to ask you, you don't have to say it out loud, but just to contemplate it in your heart and your mind right now. If I were to ask you as an individual, what is the most important thing in your life? You know there's a lot of things pulling at us. There's a lot of things vying for our time. But what is the most important issue in your life as an individual? And I could say it for us as a church. What is the most important issue in our life? What is that top shelf issue 
that we should be most concerned with? And the way that I would answer that is this. I believe the most important issue in our lives is the will of God. The will of God. And I say that because there are many things that we're engaged in today. There are many things that will push on you and pull on you and dominate you that have no eternal implications. It's all about time issues. But the will of God is that issue in each of our lives that has eternal implications. And I would say it this way. Those who do the will of God, those who respond to the will of God, it will affect your... And and, and what we do with eternity, or what we do with the will of God, rather, will affect our eternity. The Scripture says it this way. The world and its desires will pass away. Everything everyone's involved in, all those temporary issues are passing away. But notice, but whoever does... The will of God lives forever. It is only those persons who do the will of God who will live eternally in the presence of God. Would you not agree that the will of God is that most important issue in my life? Yesterday, there was a gentleman that came out. Our internet was crazy and coming in and coming out. I know you never have any problem with that at your home. Your neighborhood has perfect internet. Well, my wife works from home, and I work from home. We'll have our offices soon. I cannot wait to get back in our offices. Everybody say hallelujah for an office. And so it's coming. So we we do work there, and so we have to have internet. My wife especially works in the technology finance industry, and she has to have that. And uh, so we didn't, didn't have uh, that. And so the Spectrum guy came out. Gentlemen, we're going to talk to him. Well, the Lord opened up a witness for him. And, and I began to talk to him. I even had a chance to pray with him, this young man. And he was asking me what I did. I said, I'm a, I'm a preacher of the gospel. And I began to tell him. He said, well, how long have you been doing that? I think he's going to say, like, oh, you, you started like five years ago? And I looked at him. I said, when I was 15 years old, God called me to preach his gospel. The call was so all-encompassing. It was so overwhelming. It was so life-transforming that I knew. that One thing, listen, there's one thing I've never doubted. And maybe you've doubted it. Maybe you're doubting it right now. But I've never doubted the call, my call of God to preach his gospel. And that's all I want to do. And that's all I'm ever going to do. And I'm so proud and so honored to be the pastor and the preacher at Trinity Life Church. And there are great days ahead for us. For our God is with us. Amen. But I told that young man, I said, I said I've been preaching. I preached my first sermon when I was 15 years of age. He looked at me like I had slapped him in the face. He, he couldn't imagine that happening. I don't know what his, all his, his background was exactly in, in all detail, but I'm going to tell you there's a will of God, and I take the will of God seriously. How about you? It's that eternal issue in all of our lives. So I would say this to you today. Listen quickly, closely. Those who love the Lord, those who love Jesus today, and I, I, I would assume that you love Jesus You're here because you love Jesus. And that most important drive in your life 
is the drive to please Him. The desire to please God over anyone or any human being. You want to please God and you want to do His will at all costs. Then this message is for you. This message is for you. Here's what I want to say to us. And this is for our church today. When we choose God. And we don't want to have just some kind of normal church. I don't want to be a normal church. I've seen some normal churches. They don't preach the gospel. The Holy Ghost doesn't move. There's no baptism. There's no salvation. There's no healings. There's there's no sense of wanting to win the lost and, and do missions like we talked about with our brother Grayson. I don't want to go to a normal church. I want to go to a New Testament church. But if we say as a church... I want to do your will, Lord. Are we saying that today? Do the deacon, are you deacons saying that today? Our, our advisory committee, are we saying that today? I want to do your will at all costs. I want your purpose, your plan, your will in my life. I want to do your will. And if we say that as a church, here's what I want to tell you. There are three assurances that I want to show you today that God will do. I, I can tell you this. These three assurances are more reliable than the sun that came up in the east about right there this morning. You can count on them. Amen? There's a, most of the stuff you can't count on this world. Can't count on the banking industry. Can't count on everyone who calls, you, calls says their friend. There's a lot you can't count on, but I can tell you, you can count on these assurances. You can count on the Word of God. So I'm asking today, I'm asking this body, and I want a response here. Are we going to do the will of God? Come on, I want to hear you. Are you saying, Pastor, we want Trinity Life Church to get on that hill and we want to be in the center of everything God is doing? And if you say, yes, Pastor, that's what we want today. I'm telling you, there are three assurances that we have in the Word of God today. Now, let me give you a quick background. Just This will be brief. We're going to go to Zechariah 4. We're going to look at a little bit in Haggai. We're going to go back about... 2,500 years or so. The Jewish nation has been in captivity for 70 long years. And now they're coming home. They're coming home. But let me know that disobedience is a high cause for disobeying the word of God. The pleasures of sin are just for a season. And then sin bites like the serpent and injects the poison. And then the sorrow follows. They're coming home, but they're not, they're not coming home to the same place as, as they left it. Sin does not leave you the same way. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll damage you more than you want to be damaged. This little beleaguered group called the remnant are coming home. And they're returning to a land that's been devastated by enemies. Temple of worships torn down. Buildings torn down. Homes torn down. And the Lord through the prophet said, you're going home and I'm going to help you. But they're, they're going to reestablish the nation. To reestablish the great city of the king. The city of Jerusalem. And most important, they're going back to reestablish worship. The most important thing in your life is your worship. The most important thing in our lives in this church is Jesus. 
This all began many years before. In fact, about 16 years before they had started back. And it got too hard. And so they all gave up. And for 16 years, they just, business as usual, doing business. But yet they forgot about the Lord's house. And then quickly the prophet Haggai steps up. And the Lord anoints him 16 years later to say, you need to realign your relationship with God. You need to put God first. And, and I'll read this briefly. I won't read all this, guys. But Haggai 1 verse 2 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. And he asked a question. Is it time for you to, to be living in your handled houses? While the house of the Lord lies in ruin. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Think about how you're living. Think about how your life is aligned. Think about how close you are to God. Consider your ways carefully. You planted much but harvested little. You eat and you never have enough. You drink but you're never to the full. You put on clothes but you're not warm. You're in wages. Put them in a purse that has holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Here's what I want you to do. Go to the mountain and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. I can tell you this. I believe God is pleased with what we're doing here. This is our faith. Our faith is sight. It's right on that hill. That's where our effort is. That's where our tears are. That's where our struggle is. That's where our money is on this hill. And I believe he's pleased with it. You expected much. But see, it's turned out little. What you brought home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord, because of my house remains in ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. He's basically, I won't read all that, but he's basically saying, listen, you've ignored my relationship. You've ignored my house. You've ignored my priorities. You've ignored my will. And your life has been unfulfilled. Your life has been empty. He's saying this, and I'm paraphrasing, but he's saying in a sense, if you'll put me first, I will restore my blessing to you. If you'll put me first, I will overflow you. I will give you fulfillment. I will give you joy that you cannot even contain. I will overflow your life with abundant blessing if you will put me first, says the Lord. What do we see in this? We see clearly that God, God's will, God's will was that these people return and begin to build the house of the Lord. This was God's perfect will. This is what God wanted them to do. Now here's, hear it again. And then Zechariah steps on the scene. A month or so later, they, those two men, Haggai and Zechariah, sometimes it's hard to put time frame uh, together, like who did what when and where does this guy fit in. And one guy, you know, you may have one book that was like a thousand years before, and this, and, but yet those books are Haggai and Zechariah. Haggai was the older prophet, seasoned. Zechariah was the younger prophet. They prophesied about a month or two apart. And, and God calls Zechariah to come. And to undergird the words of Haggai through the Spirit of God. 
And God says to them, if you will do this, in other words, if you follow my will, there's three assurances that I'm going to give you if you'll do what I tell you to do. Are you ready for them? Three of them. Number one, I'm going to read a a verse out of Zechariah in a moment. First of all is this. Three points. When we are walking in the will of God, we are promised the power and the ability to fulfill His will. In other words, when God calls you to something, there is an anointing to do it. This is not about natural ability. This is not about looking into our own hearts and our own resources and our our own means. It's not looking around on natural things. But I'm telling you, no matter what your ability is, no matter what your lack of ability is, when God calls this church to something, it doesn't matter what it is, we can do everything God calls us to do. No matter what it is, we can do it in Jesus' name. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? I'm going to tell you why. Here's what he says. Zechariah 4 and 6. Listen to this verse. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. And these are some of the political readers. Zerubbabel, what a name. Here's the word of the Lord to the, to the leader. Not by might. Not by might. Everybody say that. Not by might. It's not by might. It's not not how God's going to do it. It's not by power. Come on, everybody say, it's not by power. It's not by might or power. But by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. By my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Listen to me. Zechariah here in this verse, a powerful verse, a verse you need to get in your spirit, and this church needs to get in, in our spirit today, and that's this. this is, he speaks of the power of God to accomplish not your will, not your desire, but he said, when you walk in my will to build this temple, I'm going to give you my power, and you're going to be able to do it. I'm giving you the ability to do it. You can do the will of God and we can do the will of God we can do the will of God we can do this in Jesus name now notice in the scripture there's a revelation there's a, this book this book is not a science book where it speaks in that area it will be accurate it's not a mathematics book this is a religious book this is a spiritual book this is a God book there is a revelation in this book of the almightiness of God. This is a revelation of God, His plan, His purpose to redeem the world. And God has revealed His power. Zechariah says, not by mighty power, by my spirit. And I'll explain what mighty power means in that text. It doesn't mean the might and the power of the Holy Spirit. It means another power. God's spirit is the real power. Come on. Now listen to me today. The Lord has revealed Himself as the God of power. He has revealed Himself as the all-powerful God. God has no limits. God, hear this. God has no limits. Right, let me say it another way. The only limits to God are the limits of his character. How, how do you mean? God can do anything he wishes to do. God can do everything he wants to do, but he'll never go outside of his character. All the things he does are good and mighty. Well, what do I mean? I mean this. He's an all-powerful God. He does everything he wishes, but he will not lie. He will never lie. In fact, he's so perfect, he cannot lie. He he cannot sin. 
He's perfectly holy. We sang about it this morning, about the holiness of God. He cannot sin. But, it, but listen, he can do, when God wishes to do something, when God desires to do something, he can do it because he has the power and the ability to do it. There's many things you may want to do in your humanness. There's many things you may want to do in your naturalness. But there's many things that we can't do. Because we're fallible, limited human beings. We're human, limited in so many ways. Even though God's invested certain talents by His grace, we're not almighty. We're not even mighty, really. We're just us. Are you I mean, we're just us. And, and, and we look into our own hearts sometimes, and we make the great mistake of measuring our own limited ability by our needs. Or by our problem. And that's a, that's a tremendous problem right there. Because you live in defeat. If you measure your abilities and your resources toward your need. Or toward your mountain. Or toward your impossible circumstance. You, you, will, give, you will be overwhelmed by that. I'm going to tell you. But there is a God that we serve that loves us, that redeemed us, that sent his son to die for us. And I can tell you this, he can do everything he wants to do and he cannot be stopped. He will never be stopped in Jesus' name. Isaiah, Isaiah 14, 27 said this, For the Lord Almighty has purpose and who can thwart him? Who can thwart him? He has stretched, he, his hand is stretched out. Who can turn him back? No one and nothing. He's mighty. Everybody say he's a mighty God. There is in the Amplified Bible, and I've always liked this verse in the Amplified Bible, Psalm 91 and 1. So in the Amplified, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall remain stable and fixed under the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no foe can withstand. When, when Zechariah said, it's not by my or power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord, he's talking about a God of power. He's talking about a God who knows no limit. He's talking about a God who does everything perfect. He cannot lie. He cannot deny his character, but he cannot de be defeated. And there's nothing he cannot do. This is the revelation of the almighty El Shaddai God. But there's also... Not only a revelation of God, but there's a demonstration of God. In other words, we have stories and illustrations of how God's power is released in Scripture. For instance, it says in Psalm 77, 14, You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. We're not without miracles. We're not, we're not without a demonstration of miracles. Only a, only a numbskull would say, well, you know, I, I, I just think it was created by nothing. I don't believe there is a God. Who could say that? Who could say that? When I look out on creation, I see the miracles of God. I was, I was at uh, Taco Casa yesterday. <laughs> Somebody shout amen for Taco Casa. Oh, hallelujah. We're preaching now. We've gotten all the way to Taco Casa. And I was sitting there in the line. I looked over there, and there was a bird, and it was, it was bathing in this water. He was getting his Saturday bath. I know everyone gets a Saturday bath, right? All right. Clean folks at Trinity Life Church. And, uh, and he was just, I was just watching that bird. 
And I, there's nothing in me that looked at that bird and said, you know, all that just came together. You know, one day just kind of God put it, or, you know, just kind of in a bag and it shook together and all those little skinny legs and feathers. That could never happen. We have demonstrations of the miracles of God. When you see a bird, when you see a tree, when you see the stars, the sun, the moon, and the stars, we have the evidence of the almighty power of the Creator. He's demonstrated to us that when we do the will of God, the God who created the world can empower us to do what He's called us to do. Amazing demonstration. Red seas parted. Jesus healing the sick. Opening the blinded eyes. Walking on the water. What an amazing demonstration of the power of Almighty God that flows in the pathway of His will of God's people. We have an illustration of God's power. You say, Pastor, what's the illustration of God's power? What's the illustration of this? When God gave us this word, how did He illustrate the power of God? that we could tap into, that we could walk in, that we could experience. You know what it is? It's the resurrection. Everybody say, the resurrection. Now look at this. Ephesians 1.19. Now notice in the wording, this power is towards you. This power, the, the same. See, the church is not meant to be simply a place of history where we get up every Sunday and we talk about this historical things that happen. Thank God we have a historical faith that, that we can rely on that's factual. But I tell you, we serve a living God that is in this building right now. The history and the teaching of the Word of God is to build faith that we could have miracles today. Here's what he said, Ephesians 1, 19. And what is the exceeding greatness... Of his power, the Greek is megathos, the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. See, it's toward us who believe, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He's saying to us this when 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 Zechariah says this. This, and I'm, I'm, I, I formed it into a point, and the point is this. When, when God calls us to walk in His will, it no matter what it is, it matter what it, we can do the will of God. Why? Because of the presence of God. Because of the, the anointing that equips us. God has demonstrated Himself and revealed Himself as a God of power. He's demonstrated with miracles, signs, and wonders in the Scripture. He's also illustrated it by the power of the resurrection. But we need it not just, we need it not just revealed. We need more than a revelation. We need more than a demonstration. We need more than an illustration. You know what we need, Jason? We need activation. God wants to activate it. Are you, did you hear what I just said? I just walked all the way through it. Did I do it again? Are you going to get it? Do I need to do it again? Come on, you're smiling at me. We have a revelation, God of power. We have a demonstration, Red Seas parted, all the things that we see in Scripture. We have an illustration. Jesus came out of the grave, but we need more than that. 
We need more than that. I didn't live 2,000 years ago. I live in 2023. I'm living right here. I'm right now. I need more than just a revelation. Thank God for it. I need more than a demonstration in the past. I need more than an illustration of Jesus come out of the grave. I need an activation in my own life. We need power in this church. We need an anointing right today in this church. And here's what he said. Listen, here's what God said. You shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come on you. Not before. Acts 1 and 8, put it up on the screen. I like what the KJV says. But you should receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Not before. So there was an after, but there was a before. So a before is, I don't have this experience. It's a definite experience. I mean, when the power of God fell in Acts chapter 2, it wasn't like... I wonder if something happened here. I wonder, was, was this what he was talking about? Listen, God just came in that place in such a way by the Spirit of the living God. There was no question. God is in this place. Tongues of fire coming on them. Wind blowing and manifesting physical manifestations. They knew. Can I tell you this? There's an after and before. In my life when I was a teenager, there was a before. When I was seeking for the power of the Holy Spirit, I was seeking for the anointing. I spent two weeks fasting. I never even knew a human being fasted. I never even heard a teaching on fasting. Just innately, God led me into fasting. I fasted. I prayed. I knelt at an altar, and I came up speaking in a new tongue. Come on. Speaking in a new language in my life. And I've spoken that language just about every day for all of those years. Wow, we need activation. If you're going to walk in His will... You're going to do His will? There's an assurance. You can do it, but you'll never do it on your own. we got a clever church world today. Boy, we're clever. we got the advertisement. We're slick, as, we're slick as you can be. I almost said slick as not. I better not say slick as not. Don't say snot in the pulpit. That's, that's, not, that's inappropriate. Not snot, Pastor. We're, we're clever. We know how to do church. I've heard people talk like that, that old empty talk. Here's how we do Church now, when I hear anybody say that, chills go over me. We're worshiping the living Christ. It's not this we do church. We are worshiping the almighty Christ of God. We are worshiping the sovereign holy God. And to talk like that is an abomination to God. We are worshiping God. And we need him. Listen to this. They had revelation. We know who God is. They had demonstration. We see ways of what he did. I mean, one time in Scripture, a prophet's bones healed a guy, raised him from the dead. prophet wasn't even there. His bones still contained the power of God, threw the guy in. Can you imagine when that guy came back to camp? They got rid of the, that guy's soldier that died, and then he comes walking back in camp. <laughs> you were dead. What happened? Hit those bones of Elisha. Think about it. That's something. I mean, the Bible is filled with miracles. But Jason, I need more than a demonstration in the past. I hear, well, this, we did this, and we did that, and back in 06, we did this, and we did that, and we had this, and with that. Well, let me tell you this. God hasn't changed. The Word of God hasn't changed. But I tell you that a lot of churches have changed. A lot of churches have changed. Now, let me tell you this. Listen to me. A demonstration. We have the illustration of the resurrection. But how desperately we need activation. We need power in this church 
to accomplish the very purpose and will of God. Now, i got to hurry here. He said this. Zechariah said, it's not by might or power. What does that mean? That means this. What I'm going to do, the Lord said, to these remnant people that came home and tried to salvage all this stuff that had been destroyed and tried to build something, and it was so hard. He said, it's not by might. That means this. It wasn't by military might is what he's saying. It's not by might. not by military might. We, we, we glory in our military strength. It's not by chariots or horses. He said, it's not by power. That means this in the, in the context of Zechariah. It's not by political power or human strength. Are you hearing me today? But if we're going to walk in his will, God said this. God does not accomplish his will by fleshly means. I'm going to say that again. God does not accomplish his will by fleshly means. He does, he does not. He does not. The flesh is an affront to God. The flesh is an offense to the almighty majesty of God. The almighty needs no help from the world or the flesh to accomplish his purposes in the world. And the Lord warns his people about depending on human flesh and human power and human resources. He said this, Jeremiah said, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And then later on in Jeremiah, he says this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man and draws strength from mere flesh, whose hearts turn away from God. Can I tell you, friend, here's what God says to us today. The first assurance is this. He said, if he's assured us that if we will walk in his will, if we will say, God, show us your will, and we'll walk in that, we will have all the ability to do the will of God. Say this with me. I can do the will of God. Come on, say it. We can do the will of God because God has given us the power to do it in the name of Jesus. I can do it. We can do it. Why? Because God has given us that assurance. Here's the second assurance, and this will be briefer. The second assurance is this, and this is for those who decide, every church that decides to walk in the will of God and to do His will. Here's the second thing, and that's this. When we are walking in the will of God, He assures us that He will remove the great obstacles out of our pathway. Now listen to this word. Zechariah again in 6 and 7. And he answered and said, This is the word of the Lord, not by might or power, by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now look at this. Who are you, O great mountain? Now listen to me. Were they doing the will of God by coming back? Yes, they were. Were they in the center of God's will? Yes, they were. And yet the prophet says, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. Now let me address a modern day fallacy. Let me address a modern-day error that has crept in to us. And that's this, that if I'm doing the will of God, and this is taught a lot, that if I'm doing the will of God, if I am in the center of God's purpose, plan, and will, everything will be easy and everything will be comfortable. I will not have to press. I will not have to strain. There will be no struggle but that is an error. That is a fallacy. That is not found in the will of God. Here are these people. Listen, they have come back according to the prophetic word of the prophet of the Lord. And yet they're here clearly. There is a mountain in their way. 
to think that, you know, the old British preacher, Alan Redpath, said this, there's no winning without warfare. There's no opportunity without opposition. And there is no victory without vigilance. To think that we're going to build a church and we're going to do the will of God or we're going to serve God and it's going to be easy flowing and there's never going to be any difficulties, never going to be any problems, never going to be any spiritual battles. That is a fallacy. And what that has created is a weak church that cannot persevere against much of anything. I can prove it. I can prove that this fallacy is wrong by simply going to the center of our theology. It only take me a second. Now, now think about think of what I said, and I'm going to go quick here. If I'm doing the will of God, everything's going to be great. If I ever have any difficulty, that's a sign I'm out of the will of God. I would say to you that probably the opposite is true, that if I'm doing the will of God and I'm facing difficulty, I'm probably on the right track. Amen? Because there's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, I'm going to prove that kind of theology is wrong by this question. Was Jesus in the will of God? He is our Savior. He said in John, I always do what pleases my Father. He never disobeyed the Father. He was always in the will of God. So if Jesus, if this fallacy of that if I'm in the will of God, everything's going to be wonderful and great and easy and comfortable, then why did Jesus face so much opposition? Right? Are you tracking with me here? And I can see Jesus because I've been to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I've been to those trees that are over 2,000 years old. One of those trees, among those trees, is where Jesus knelt. And we've stood there. And I can see Jesus in the garden. Now think about the fallacy. If I do the will of God, it's going to be easy, no problems, never any lack, never any struggle, never any mountains, never any tears. And then I see Jesus. And I can see him in my mind's eye. And he's in the garden and he's thrown himself to the ground. And he said, Father, if this cup can pass from me, Lord, let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but let yours be done. And brother and sister, I'll tell you, in that garden, he, he sweated drops of blood from his forebrow. Why? Because he was in the very will of God. We face mountains sometimes. We face difficulties sometimes. But dear ones, we have a mountain-moving God. We have a God who is, uh, what's the song, the miracle? Miracle worker, miracle maker. What is it? Waymaker. There it is. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> this is my sermon. Y'all preaching my sermon. Come on. He's a waymaker. He's a waymaker. Grayson, he's your waymaker. He's our waymaker. Now listen to me. What was the mountain before these precious people? This little remnant that had come back temple all torn down it was they had no army they had limited resources low morale and they were surrounded by enemies on paper this little Jewish remnant you that are into stats this Jewish remnant was no match for the enemies, no match for the mountain. And it, all of this 
was overwhelming to this little group of people. And yet God said to them, that mountain's moving. Because you're following my will. I've told you to do this. God said, I've called you to do it. I know it's bigger than you. I know it's bigger than your resources. I know it's bigger than your naturalness. But I want you to know it's not by my dear power, but my spirit will anoint you. And I'm moving mountains. God's about to move some mountains for us in Jesus' name. Now let me, let me just get this. There's an extraordinary power in faith in God. None of us have tapped in. No one has ever tapped in. Not a Smith Wigglesworth, not a Reuben Torrey, not a Mr. Parham, not any of those people have ever truly tapped in to the extraordinary power when faith in God is flowing. The Lord said this. Jesus said, have faith in God. Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes what he, the things that he says will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe. And that means believe and keep believing. It's a verb that you have received it, and it will be yours. Jesus said, prayer and faith in God can move mountains. Listen, let's qualify this. We're not talking about your desire. We're not talking about you coming up with your own selfish human idea or us coming up with our plan. We're talking about when we're doing what God says to do and we're walking the pathway of God. I want to tell you when we pray, mountains can be moved because the power of God flows in the pathway of His purposes. That's where He releases His power for His glory and His honor and His praise, not ours. So if we're doing His will, God's going to release His presence. Here's a winning strategy. And I hope they put this in the, on, the, on the notes. I hope they got this. Here's the winning strategy. Here it is. If you, unwavering faith, fervent prayer, the power of the Holy Spirit, and bold action. How many know that is a winning strategy? So that means this. Today, if you are standing before a mountain and you don't know what to do, and it's bigger than you are, and it's bigger than your resources, it's bigger than your humanness, if you're out of all of your ideas, I want you to know today, God is not out of resources, He's not out of power, and He's not out of wisdom. And I want to tell you, if you're standing before a mountain today, or if we're standing before a mountain today, dear ones, here's our strategy. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have unwavering faith in the Almighty God. We're going to have fervent prayer to the Almighty God. We're going to depend on the Almighty power of the Spirit. And we're going to have bold action as we step out with God and say, God, we'll risk everything to do your will, Lord. Hallelujah. Now think about it. I'm closing. Think about this. I'm speaking to people who are serious about the will of God. I'm speaking to a church today who says, Pastor, our greatest desire is to follow Jesus then you have an assurance that when God calls you, you can do it. You can do it. You have an anointing to do what He's called you to do. And you have a second assurance, and that assurance is this, that when you're doing His will and you've gone in His command, you can walk on water like Peter did. 
for a bit, but then he got his eyes off the Lord. He did walk for a bit. Because Jesus said, come. When God says, come, he can, God can move mountains and obstacles out of our way. And here's the last thing, and I'll close with that. There's a third assurance for those churches who want to walk in the will of God. And that's this. He gives us the assurance, and he assures us that the work will be completed and that the people of the Lord will rejoice when they see what God has done. Verse 7 of Zechariah. What are you, a mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? Now listen. You, this, is, this, is, this is prophesied before it happened. This is what the prophet said would happen before it happened. This was the assurance. Or is what we're doing, does it matter? What does our future hold? Here it is. The prophet said to that remnant group. He said this. Then he will, he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it. God bless it. The word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel had laid the foundation of the temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. God completes what he starts. If we will be faithful. You hear me, church? If we will be faithful. In this text, the capstones would mark the completion of the project. It's the last thing that they put in. Can I tell you this? God is a finisher. God will finish his house. And greater than that, but not just some physical house, God will complete our salvation one day. You're going to make it. Why? Because he who's begun a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, we're going to be glorified. It's going to happen because God finishes what he starts. And God's going to finish this up here, what he started, because we're going to do the will of God in Jesus. Jesus' name. Come on, in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. As we stand, our musicians are coming. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Just begin to worship the Lord. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the now listen, church. God says yesterday, you can do what I've called you to do because my presence has equipped you. God gives us the assurance that no matter what difficulty we face in His will, the enemy will be defeated. And God gives us the assurance that one day we will rejoice when we look back and see what God has done. Shout, shouts of God bless it. God bless it. This was the prophet saying, it wasn't even done yet. Temple wasn't even finished yet for those people. But he said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to worship. Some of you, listen, that first service, we're going to worship. We're going to cry tears. We're going to shout. We may run. We're going to do it. Come on, I'm prophesying to you today. It's going to be glorious.
what this describes is the fullness of joy. Ask you receive that your joy may be full. What is your joy being full? It's the joy of answered prayer. It's the joy of enemies conquered. It's the joy of a work completed. It's the joy of our needs abundantly supplied. It's the joy, most of all, of the name of the Lord being glorified in all that we do. So here's what I feel in my heart today. We need to rejoice like it's done. We need to rejoice like we're healed. We need to rejoice as if we're in our new facility. We need to rejoice. I want us to begin to sing and just to let God put this in your heart today. Could we, could we just sing a little bit and worship the Lord and, and rejoice? He said, you're going to rejoice in this. See it done in Jesus' name. See your healing in Jesus' name. You say, what do you see? What are you talking about? See. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's begin to see.